Hey everyone, welcome to episode 4 of the City of Champions podcast. Today we discuss the series against the Nationals, opening day ceremony and Kershaw versus Scherzer. Then we dive into the Lakers where we discuss AD's return, the last two games against the Knicks and the Nets, and what we need to do going forward. everyone welcome back to the city of champions podcast my name is edgar here with my co-host gene lots to talk about today the big ring ceremony our sweep of the nationals kershaw asserting his dominance over scherzer then we talk about ad's return the lakers making their rounds in new york but first let's start off with the other dodgers how do you feel about everything that happened this weekend yeah so let's just start off with the ring ceremony man just the, the ring ceremony itself, uh, how great it is to have fans back at baseball games, how great it is for fans to be able to be back at Dodger Stadium. It's been so long. And then we get the rings, man. We get to fly the banner. We get the championship rings. And yeah, man. And it how cool is it to see? Like for me, like my favorite moment of the ring ceremony. The, I mean, the ring is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's it's super like diamond out you know, all these carrots, beautiful ring, dope, amazing box with the little video highlights. But for me, it was seeing Clayton Kershaw get his ring. Like as a Dodger fan, I felt like that was a very like special moment, a very emotional moment to see this amazing pitcher, whether he's the GOAT or not, that's, you know, people are going to always debate that, but many Dodger fans do see him as the greatest of all time. And just to see him finally get over the hump, man, and, and win that World Series and get that championship ring and throw up his hair, his hands up in the air, man. It, it was just, it was awesome. It was beautiful, man. What about yourself? What did you like about that ring ceremony? The same things, pretty much. I thought it was, you know, really cool that despite not being able to have a parade, they were, you know, able to receive their rings to 15,000 fans in attendance. Not a big deal, but it is a big deal given, you know, the context. Normally, you know, you'd want him to do it in front of 60 or, you know, 56,000 fans, but it's not possible. So the fact that he could do it in front of 15,000, I mean, it's it's unlike anything else. You know, we've been cheering for the guy for the past set you know no more than seven years but we've been cheering for the guy and he's got through his struggles we've been there with him defending him um on twitter you know to friends and it feels good to finally see him you know pick that ring up put it on the ring by the way was massive <laughs> made their hands yeah. look tiny puts into context how many uh, carrots were on there personally i like the uh the sd30 in, in on the inside yes. and how, you know how they how, how they took a picture of that you know just to you know be more deliberate about it i'm sure it pissed off some of the uh, padres fans Oh, it was great. It was great. It was great that it said SD30. And then, you know, Musgrove throws that that no hitter, which is awesome in its own right. But then, you know, they they ask, you know, they ask on their Twitter, like, where were you at, you know, on this evening? And all the Dodger fans are trolling. Like, I was receiving a, a championship of World <laughs> Series ring. Like, I don't know what you guys were doing. We were raising banners on our end, not celebrating no hitter. So that's it's always great to troll the fans. It is, man. And, you know, that's their, uh, their first no hitter in franchise history. And it just happened on the same day as the ring ceremony. So... 
It felt good. Yeah, it was it was great. It was great. And, and you know, the ceremony was awesome. That intro video by um, Joe Davis was amazing. And uh, all like the, you know, the cameo appearances from the, you know, former baseball players, the Hall of Famers and you know just different guys was great. And yeah, man, our home opener. It was just great to be back at home and be back in front of fans. Um, I can't wait to get back to Dodger Stadium myself. Yeah, I mean, and with all the renovations and additions they've done to it, it looks it looks like a like a cool place, especially the uh, the new seats out in the outfield uh, where there's no longer like this awkward gap between uh, the start of the you know the, the bleachers and uh, and the uh, the actual wall. Now you're like on the wall with like a little you know bench. So that that was pretty cool to see. Uh, lots of cool things going. Uh, you know, most notably like like I said earlier between. Kershaw and Bueller for the entire series, you know, 12 innings, 11 hits, 10 Ks, no walks. And, you know, let's talk about that, you know, game one with Bueller and his, uh, his shutout. What were your reactions? Look, man, that's how I'm going to start talking about Walker Bueller. Walker Bueller normally struggles to start the regular season. If this dude starts the season hot, I said this like, you know, I think on, on our first pod, if Walker Bueller pitches like he normally pitches in October to start the season, he will be in the conversation for Cy Young. And he's starting the season super hot, man. The fastball is there. The breaking pitches are there. The control is there. The dudes, he's got it all, man. He's a complete package as a pitcher. Great start by Walker Bueller. You know, uh, six innings, six hits, four Ks, no walks. Uh, the dude was just great. Yeah, you know, and it's 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 really great to see. It's one of the first seasons, you know, really going into it. Not worried about injuries or someone, you know, coming coming back or, you know, waiting on this guy. It's almost like everyone's healthy for the most part. I know we've got some missing faces, but, you know, guys are in good health. Guys are hitting their stride straight away after those rocky two games in Colorado. Uh, we've pretty much been on on cruise control for, for you know, the rest of the games. And, you know, it's funny because this specific game, we we had to win it one nothing, and we had to win it on the solo home run from, you know, this in this case, Turner. But it, all, it almost seems like uh, opening days are becoming like these drama filled like games. Yeah, no, definitely. And a great game by Justin Turner, by the way, uh, three for three with a home run, one run scored and, and an RBI. And I love to see that Justin Turner's coming out of the gate hot, bro, because when we signed him, there was a lot of questions about, you know, does he deserve that money? He's a little bit older, you know, two year contract, yada, yada, yada. Can he still perform? So on and so forth. But he is honestly our best hitter right now to start the season. I mean, everyone's hitting the ball pretty well for the most part. But Turner, uh, what a great game and just a great start to the season. And it's only fitting that it's a 1-0 win. Uh I honestly thought we were going to lose this game just because you go from the hype, like the, all the emotions from getting your ring, this prolonged ceremony and everything. And so then it gets hard to go like to go from like receiving your championship ring to then having to go play a baseball game. Yeah, like you already won the day. Yeah, like, so it's just, it's hard to like switch your brain from like celebrating to like, now let me focus and go compete. But I'm happy we we're able to pull out that victory. Um, and like, you know, a little wrinkle in this game, a little storyline that came out, you know, the Twitter, the Dodger uh, fans on Twitter were going off about Corey Knable because that dude is nasty. Fighting for that closest role. Yep. 97, bro. He's throwing 97. He's throwing cheese. But against the Nationals, I think he only threw a couple fastballs. But that curveball was nasty, bro. Like the, I feel like the Boston fans always say it's like a wicked curve, bro. Like it was ridiculous. Um, he was he was just killing it. And um, so after the game, everyone starts asking like Corey Knable, new closer. Like we were talking about it. You know, we put it on Twitter also. Is Corey Knable the new closer after just the way he looks, man? So what were your thoughts on Corey Knable? Like how he 
looked and should we maybe be looking to give him some save opportunities, some more save opportunities like throughout the rest of the season? I agree with pretty much everything you said. He was he was nasty. He had three strikeouts, you know, in one inning. No walks, just killing it out there, throwing, you know, heat. And that curveball, like you said, it just, you know, the bottom drops out of it, just dies, you know. So it's good to see that we've got, you know, even our uh, bullpen, you know, going so early. Now we've got to we've got to make that decision. He is vying for that closer's role. He is at least knocking on the door, putting some yes. heat from under Jansen. And should yes. he be considered a legitimate, you know, contender? I think he should be. I think so far he's shown nothing but, uh, but you know, excellence in pressure situations you know one run game going in there and you couldn't have asked for uh, any more than that and 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 he's only pitched in high leverage situations and every time he's gone out he's just done the job you know he's just he's pitching great to start the season man he is he is and it'll be interesting to see because after what Jansen did today it sort of gets interesting you know just because when Jansen blows a save or he blows a game it's easy to jump on him and think that the world is burning but he bounced right back had a strong game we'll talk about that later game two yes yes you, you know, it, it was it, it was uh, it was a good start. He had bad moments. He he dominated. I think at one point he retired eleven straight, and then he got into trouble. You know, first by giving up that home run to Soto, and then by um, putting guys on. I think first and third, and then getting pulled eventually. Uh, what do you think about that? So so here's the thing. Like like you said, it it wasn't a great start, but it was a quality start, right? This is something we would call a quality start. Um, he struggled early on. He gave up five hits in his first two innings then he gave the, he gives up the home run to Soto bro but Soto is, is a beast so it's understandable but I felt like there was just some poor defense on the Dodgers part in that sixth inning he could have got out of that jam um and I, I've kind of noticed that like you know just some balls going underneath the you know uh infielders gloves some double plays not being flipped as as smoothly as they should be flipped like if like there's one criticism I'm I'm having about the Dodgers right now is kind of their defense, especially that infield defense. Just it doesn't seem like Seager and Lux got their timing down just yet, and I felt like that kind of hurt Udius. I, I thought he could have got out of the six besides that home run. I think he'd have made it out of that inning uh, pretty good, but it wasn't his best start. But still, you know, to say it's not your best start and you know still go five and two thirds and just give up three runs, you know, not the worst. Not the worst at all. And again, I, I looked at the uh, the walks category and he had zero of them, so that shows you. He had control. He gave up a little bit too many hits and Consequently, some of those went over the fence. Some of those went for hits. Some of those, uh, you know, went for runs. But not a, you know, not not a bad start at all. I'm I'm really happy with you know the way he played. Yeah, and he had a ton of run of support, right? Ton of ton of run support from the Dodgers. So we have a big second inning. The offense puts up five runs in the second innings. We get the two run uh, single by the young rookie Zach McKinstry. This dude is balling right now. And then we get a three run home run by Taylor. So we put up five. We give Udias a cushion to go. And yeah, and then the offense just provides some more insurance runs throughout the way but great game by the offense yeah great game Pollock much needed hit drove three runs in that seventh with that double that it was a close one uh it could have been an out and luckily it went under the uh the glove of the left fielder and went for a double and we we, we took advantage and that's what we should be doing uh, getting as many runs as we can going later into games so that we don't have to rely on the closers that's another thing we can't be putting the load on the other uh, bullpen all the time so if we could take advantage of the you know some of these teams yeah why not go ahead and do it and uh, I was happy overall it was uh you know not many not many storylines to this game but we got we got the job done and yeah set ourselves up for you know success regardless of uh game three which was kershaw
for yeah. sure, sir. Yeah, definitely. And the good thing about like those games where the offense puts up a ton of runs, like you said, we're not putting a lot of uh, strain on the top bullpen arm. So we were able to pass a game off like that to, you know, some of our lower end bullpen arms, Dennis Santana, Scott Alexander, and they're able to get some work and those guys got to get some work in also. And they're able to kind of close the game off for us. And then we go to game three, man, that was, you know, we're recording this Sunday night. So game three was earlier today. We had an early game and we have the two Hall of Fame pitchers. I think it's like six Cy Youngs between the two of them. I think they each have three. Uh, Kershaw Scherzer, man. Uh, how are you feeling about this game? Were you excited? I was excited. I think uh, probably the two best pitchers in the league the past six, seven years just lights out. I mean, DeGrom could probably, you know, go in that conversation. But for me, it's these two guys. And Scherzer, man, he's a scary guy. He's got that like oh, uh, white eye or whatever you might call it blue eye or yeah, something the, he has like the miscolored eyes yeah, the the, different the, yeah eyes. And, and <laughs> that, that looks intimidating i mean when, when you're you're trying to hit and he's throwing heat and he's looking at you and he's looking at you all crazy bro with two different colored eyes <laughs> that's got to throw you off man and so i this, sure. this game i i didn't know what to expect again kershaw could have a bad day scherzer doesn't have too many of them and i think i'm just yeah. more you know i hold kershaw to a higher standard but standard but it just seems like scherzer never has a bad game luckily luckily we took advantage kershaw went out there lights out six strikeouts five hits keeping that whip under one on 86 pitches like that's a dominant start for me maybe not a crazy like standout performance but that is a dominant start for me the kind of starts that you like to see this guy have and the kind of starts that he's uh you know getting used to putting up already this season yeah um the stat that stood out to me is the 86 pitches i was happy they pulled him at 86 pitches because for me yeah kershaw can go and give you another inning but we don't need that right now trust the bullpen and so i'm happy that after 86 pitches roberts pulls him and he's uh you know he's able to keep the arm fresh we go to the bullpen and the bullpen does what the bullpen needs to do and they hold it down. That is not the storyline of the day. That is not the storyline. The storyline is Zach McKinstry, who was responsible for all three runs. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, the kid is coming up big. He's just hitting the ball. Yo, Zach, Zach McKinstry. You know, so just some information for people of Dodger fans. I mean, if you're a Dodger fan, you know about Zach McKinstry, but non-Dodger fans. So this dude was picked in the 33rd round of the 2016 draft. He was the 1,001 pick in the draft, bro. The 1,001 pick. How many of these guys are even playing in the major leagues or still in the minors or, or whatever? This dude is up on a World Series team a stacked roster and he's getting starts and he's performing and he's producing uh you know like you said he drove in all three runs today he had the rbi double in the second he had the two run home run in the seventh um but he's starting off the season with a 321 batting average a 355 on base percentage 679 slugging and his ops is 1033 and he leads the team with 10 rbis this is a dude again that was picked in the 33rd round of the draft that just speaks that just speaks to the dodgers uh you know um minor league system and our ability to develop players bro it does and it you know in more than just a skill way right because these guys again like you said he's a rookie coming on to a championship team that's stacked and for him to come in with that confidence for him to come in and just beat the heck out of the ball lead the team and you know 10 with 10 rbi so early on it says a lot about him and it's not just you know at the plate not sure if you remember the uh the catch at the you know wall game one yes that's not an easy catch that's not a catch that a lot of major leaguers veterans can make you 
yeah. going full speed, not knowing really what to expect or you know how far the other uh, wall is because it's so short you can't really see it. So yeah. for him to have that presence of mind and make that catch, I, I was I've been impressed today going up being only up one nothing on a run that he drove in and really solidifying that victory for us for Kershaw who doesn't get a lot of run support very often yeah, in those man. situations. I'm glad to see it. And I'm sure Kershaw was happy with him uh, after the game. Not not much else I could say about Zach. He's, uh, I'm happy for the guy and I just hope he keeps raking. And I yeah, hope he can, uh, you know, win rookie of the year. He's, he's such, a, he's a typical Dodger player that comes up within our system. A versatile defender, right? So you're talking about him in right field. He's been starting in right field since Mookie's been out this series with some back tightness. So we go to Zach McKinstry to start in right field. And that's not even his primary position. He came up in the minors in college playing the infield. Second uh shortstop, second base, a little bit of third base, but mostly the middle, you know, the middle infield, shortstop and second base. But we have him starting in the outfield and the kid is making plays, great catches, throwing dudes out, going to third. And it's just it just yeah. The Dodgers, man, just developing dudes left and right, versatile defenders, guys who can play multiple positions and just hit the ball well. So it, it's great to see that this bench piece is performing for us, especially after we lost Jock, after we lost Kike. So great to see Zach McKinstry do his thing. But yeah, enough of Zach McKinstry, the bullpen, bro. The bullpen, man. The, the bullpen. bullpen. Can, Talk it, about can, the able, bullpen. can able coming in again in a one run game in a pretty high, you know, pressure situation. And, you know, when I saw him come out in the seventh, I thought it was uh I thought it was maybe too soon. Why bring out the guy that's been, you know, your most reliable closer in so early to pitch to I think it was five, six, seven. With the way Jansen's been playing, it kind of just, you know, falls in the back of your mind, right? If he puts these guys down, who's gonna, you know, be in charge of two, three, four in the uh in the uh, the ninth? And that's exactly what happened and you know Robert's like he always does with confidence he went to Jansen his closer he's still his closer and boy did he I mean he took it back to like 2017 2016 yes throwback performance by Kenley Jansen he was uh, hitting 94 95 I mean this guy was like at one point at 88 we had lost confidence in him and now he's throwing 94 95 yeah yeah and and like we said so so here's a quick quick funny thing about Kenley Jansen bro so my sister called me yesterday about the podcast and she said we have to take it easy on Kenley Jansen (laughs) she called me she's like you guys need to take it easy on Kenley Jansen you guys went so hard on him but like I said on the pod it's not that we like we're not anti Kenley Jansen on this podcast or anything like that it's just and a lot of people on Dodgers Twitter feel the same way just on back-to-backs he's not his best on back-to-backs the arm is just not built that way anymore so you see him coming today after a couple days of rest and he's throwing gas 94 like you said 94 to 95 with movement that one cutter he threw on the outside part of the plate that thing cut at least six inches at the last minute and that's vintage kenley jansen right there and if he is pitching like that if roberts can utilize the bullpen like the way he did today and the way he's been using hey if jen if kenley can't come in and close a game give it to knable give it to david price give it to blake trinan give it to brewster gratterall when he's ready and save kenley don't use him in back-to-backs we're gonna get the best version of kenley and that's what we saw today and dodgers twitter was hyped about it we were hyped about it and it was just it was a great it was a great close and great save by Kelly Jansen. A little shout out to Blake China, who also just pitched his, you know, lights out this entire series. I think he pitched himself out of first and third and no out in, in game one, I think it was, and took care of business today as well. Um, and more, more notice, more notably, Ted, you know, a little bit of a cherry on top. We got the sweep without Ballinger and Betts. 
Yes, that's 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 huge. The Nationals are are a good baseball team. They have a solid pitching staff. They have a star in Juan Soto. They have an all-star in Trey Turner. So that's a good team. And we sweep them without probably our two best players. You could say, you know, two of our three best players, uh, but for sure, two of our three best players in, in Mookie Betson and Cody Bellinger, who are both nursing some minor injuries. And hopefully we get them back in the lineup pretty soon. Hopefully we get them in the lineup after this upcoming series against the Rockies, because after we play the Rockies in this upcoming series, we have our favorite, the San Diego Padres. Let's go. The tickets are ridiculous for that game already. I, I believe it. I believe it, man. Um, but before we get to the Padres in the three game uh, series against them over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we have the Rockies. So we have a three game homestand against the Rockies um, and our pitchers will be Trevor Bauer going in game one. Uh, Dustin May has game two and then Julio Urias has game three. So uh, May will be on a couple extra days rest as they skipped his start today to go with Kershaw on regular rest. And the way Roberts is kind of manipulating the rotation, it stacks up for us to to go um to go one two three um against the Padres so we'll go with uh we'll have Kershaw Bueller and Bauer pitching against the Padres so that's gonna be lit oh man that is gonna be crazy um man the Rockies it just seems like things are ramping up and then you get the Rockies again <laughs> I'm, I'm still tired from that last series to be honest that first series was just so awkward that uh, to play them again so soon it's it's too soon like I just feel bad for the Rockies that weeks. they have to play us, that they have to play us seven times within like the first like 13 games I feel bad for them it's true I feel bad for the Padres because they're gonna have to play us seven times in the next like nine days I'm so hyped for that series because you know they're gonna bring it hard and hopefully by that time um, Tatis Jr. is back because it wouldn't be a series you know without him we especially don't want to hear Padres fans saying, well, we didn't have yeah. Tatis. Yeah, they're just going to make, the Padre fans are just going to make excuses that Tatis doesn't play. And even if Tatis plays, you're going to be like, well, Tatis wasn't fully healthy, blah, 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 blah. Whatever, man. I don't want to hear excuses, man. Play who you got. Next man up. Let's go. All right. Well, it looks like that wraps up our Dodger talk. It, it's been a good series, a good sweep. Let's keep it up. Let's keep it going. Let's bring it to the Padres this weekend. Take care of the Rockies because we can't fall asleep on those guys and look forward to the rest of the week. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to talk about your Los Angeles Lakers. And to get us started off, just a quick update on LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So uh, before our Saturday night game against the Brooklyn Nets, some updates were dropped by Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, Woj was reporting that um, as of Saturday, that AD was about 10 to 14 days away from returning, uh, that he would be reevaluated when the Lakers get home. Uh, that'll be this upcoming Thursday. Thursday from their road trip and that the team would reevaluate him and they plan to play him in the next 10 to 14 days. So if he does stay with that 14 day timeline, that puts him on target to return for his first game around April 24th against the Dallas Mavericks. Edgar, how are you feeling about AD's return, man? It'll be interesting to see how they, you know, integrate him back into the lineup. He's in back in. You definitely don't want him uh, tightening up uh, anything in that area uh, this close to the playoffs. Uh, but I'm excited. Uh, it'll be, I think what needs the most work is the way our uh, bigs are going to rotate. So this might help right now that uh, LeBron's out focusing on that area of the offense. Yeah. What do you think? Well, from the beginning, I kind of predicted that this would be around AD's return. I think on the first part, I said that this series against the Maverick is kind of like the timeline I was looking for for AD to 
to return. I just felt like the whole time the Lakers were being extremely cautious with his injury and just wanted to make sure that he was fully healthy before they brought him back. So I feel like he took a little bit longer than was than he truly needed. Lakers, were, I think, were slow playing his return. And so... I'm just excited to get him back on the court, let him get some reps. Like you said, he'll probably start off with the minutes restriction, slowly work his way back up. But it's time to start ramping up, man. We're, we're you know, we're in April. Playoffs are, are coming in May. So it's time to start ramping up, get AD going. And then um, Woj also reporting uh, or on that ESPN report that came out that LeBron's about three weeks out. So if everything falls into place correctly, we should have AD back around April 21st and LeBron back around April 30th against the Kings or May 2nd against the Raptors. So we will have hopefully, you know, everything going well, cross our fingers. Our entire roster will be healthy and ready to go minus Jared Dudley, but everyone else will be healthy and ready to go the beginning of May. And then we can finally, you know, start to ramp up and make that push for the playoffs. Having a back in May is a good time still. There's maybe like a dozen games left. So even if they did have a horrible next few games, and lost all of them and we fell into into the brink of uh, the playoff play in playoff then we'd have you know room to make it back up room to get the guys going when the playoffs start yeah yeah I hear you uh, and I think that's what it's all about man is just making sure we enter the playoffs in rhythm making sure we enter the playoffs healthy and um, with chemistry and ready to go and uh, you know we've talked on some of the early pods that I just feel like this time with AD and Braun out has been very huge for the role players just finding their rhythm and we really saw that in this game on Saturday afternoon against the Nets uh, Lakers were in Brooklyn and we got that dub man we beat the Brooklyn Nets 126 to 101 and just a great overall team game Edgar tell me what you saw in this game for starters the eight men in double figures and I looked this up and the record's actually nine so eight is pretty high up there and it's pretty incredible when you think about it because this is a team you know missing two of its superstars and there's still eight guys going and in double figures on any given night that's pretty impressive so that was you know really good to see and And to add to that let's add to that bro so you you talked about like we had AD and Braun out but it wasn't only an AD Braun bro we were also missing Gasol we were also missing Kuzma that game and we were also missing Wesley Matthews so to have five legit rotation players out and still have eight guys in double figures that just talks about the depth, man. Didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to get that in there. No, it does. And uh, what I liked about this game is that they came out fighting, maybe to the Nets. It was a day off for them, even though we know it wasn't. But they might take it as a day off. And these guys came out and fought. Now, I don't think uh, the Nets knew what, what came and hit them. And I think they can make all the excuses in the world of, you know, KD being on minutes restriction, Irving getting kicked out. But these guys fought and Schroeder up until he was kicked out. He he played really well. Um, Drummond had a great game on the offensive end, especially getting a lot of second chance opportunities, a couple of threes, I think. Um, so I was really happy to see that. And I'm really just happy to see these guys out there fighting you know next man up last man standing yeah yeah and you hit a couple key points man Dennis Schroeder what a game from Dennis Schroeder and you and I are often kind of hard on Dennis Schroeder but I thought this game was a perfect example of what he can bring he was aggressive but he was smart he was getting to the rim and he was making all the right passes and really just setting the table for the Lakers from the beginning he was doing a really good job of getting the big man to switch on him in the pick and roll and he He'd pass the ball to the wing, get it back and attack from 
from the top of the key and was getting to the rim play after play. He was looking great, man. And like you said, he was looking great till he had that um, that hard fall. He, he took that charge from Blake Griffin, landed on his tailbone. He was kind of limping after that. And then he eventually had that ejection. Um, him and Kyrie both got ejected, which was ridiculous. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. And you also talked about Drummond. Um, Andre Drummond, obviously his best game as a Laker. It was just impressive. How, and I've said this before, man, just how big he is. This is a big man. Huge. And, and, and then he, he scores all over LaMarcus Aldridge, who's big in his own right. LaMarcus Aldridge is not a small dude. That's a big guy. And he scores on LaMarcus Aldridge, just bullies him and does the whole like too short gesture. Like he's too small for me. He can't handle me in the paint. <laughs> and so uh, Drummond, man, just really bully balling the Brooklyn Nets. And we've talked about this with the Brooklyn Nets before is who's going to guard these big men? Who's going to guard these centers? If Andre Drummond is going for 20 and 10 in 22 minutes against the Brooklyn Nets, if they see Joel Embiid in the playoffs, he's going to eat all day. He'll average like 40 and 20 against them, man. It's just they don't have the size. They don't have the good team defense to handle um, big men in the interior. So um, great games by Schroeder. Great game, uh, great game by Drummond. Just looking real uh, dominant. But um, I wanted to talk a little bit on this Kyrie and Schroeder altercation that occurred. Um, so because the ejections were kind of ridiculous, man. It's a Saturday night uh, nationally televised game. It's prime time. It's New York. It's L.A. It's two big markets. It's two uh, finals favorites. So everyone's tuned in and everyone wants to watch a good game. It was a good game up until this point because this um, this uh, event that occurred, this play right here really changed the um, the energy of the game and the momentum of the game. So Kyrie fouls Dennis Schroeder at the top of the key, uh, reaching in, foul called. Um, Kyrie gets in Schroeder's face. Uh, Schroeder used some language to tell Kyrie essentially to back up. Um, he used the N-word. Kyrie was not cool with that. Uh, got really upset. Um, they got one T, both of them, double technical to kind of split it up. But Kyrie was really hot over the words that Schroeder used to... Um, to refer to Kyrie. He's just not a fan of the N-word. He went on Twitter about that and expressed his, um, you know, how he just doesn't like that word and doesn't want to be referred to as that word. And so, um, so he was just really hot and he kept popping off and he kept going off. So eventually the referees eject Kyrie because he just won't calm down. And then uh, Schroeder, I guess, gestures goodbye as Kyrie's getting ejected. And then Schroeder gets his second technical and gets ejected. Just just kind of ridiculous, man. What were your thoughts on those ejections, Edgar? Kind of ridiculous. And they ruined the game for myself and for a lot of people. You know, it's one thing to give them a tee because they're in each other's faces. I get that, right? You're trying to de-escalate the situation. Give them a warning in case, you know, the situation does escalate. But the the part after, it's like, come on, let the guys talk. It's basketball. You go to 24-hour, guys are talking shit left and right. Let them talk. What's the harm in that? Unless it's, you know, something, you know, crazy. Um, let them talk back and forth. That's what the game's all about. That's what adds that much needed uh, heat in uh, these marquee games especially on national television. You got to let that stuff play out. You know, the fans want to see passion and to take that away for waving. Come on. It's, it's ridiculous. What if this were a playoff game where they, you know, are they going to apply the same rules by setting as, you know, a similar precedent? So I'm not, I'm not with that. Like, you know, like I said the other day, the, the, the NBA is becoming such a soft league with all these things they're doing. Um, but you know, I won't speak too much to that. What were your thoughts about that? I just kind of the same thing, man. It's just, 
you know, they, they, they fans uh, and, and people that watch basketball typically always say something along the lines of like, we come to watch the players, not the refs. So don't make yourself a central talking point of the game because this is what people were talking about is how ridiculous these ejections were. And it really changed the landscape of the game because from this point on, after they're both ejected, the Lakers go on a run and they dominate the game after that. So um, this ejection occurred a couple minutes into the third quarter. And in the second half, the Lakers outscored the Nets 65 to 43. So just this just goes to show you that this event right here, this double ejection completely changed the game. And um, after this, uh, the Lakers just kind of go on a run. Ben McLemore catches fire, dude. Just fire. a flamethrower, bro. Just could miss. Um, dude hits five threes in the second half. And, you know, he kind of talked about after the game on how I just need to see one go in and it's just it's over from there. So it was really cool to see him kind of uh, have a good game for the Lakers, his second game playing for the Lakers. And it was good to see him go off, hit a couple hit, not more than a couple, man, hit five triples, um, some catch and shoot, some coming off screen. And he just has a quick trigger, bro. And I was just thinking what he's adding to the team. Man, we're just so deep. Like, I just keep we thinking about like our depth, bro. Because in this game where we don't have, again, we have five rotation players out of the game and we still had eight players in double figures. So it just, I mean, I don't know, man. It just goes to show that if someone is not playing well when we get to the playoffs, there's plenty of people on the bench that could come in and, and produce. So um, great game by the Lakers all the way around. Great game by Ben McLemore. Um, Andre Drummond and THT had double doubles. And just that our defense was impressive also. Let's let's not forget to talk about our defense. So the offense was great. We put up 126 points. Uh, offense was great. But our defense, man, holding the Brooklyn Nets to 101 points, 43% shooting from the field, 18% shooting from three-point land. That's just just great defense overall by the Lakers, man. And um, go ahead. I think uh, our defense without AD and LeBron, we're still two, number two in the league. I think I, I saw that somewhere. So that speaks to how hard these guys want to come out and, uh, and fight and play. And, uh, you know, they showed it. And if anything, it just showed that our, def- or our depth is a lot um, stronger than then the Nets, our second unit is a lot stronger than the Nets' second unit. And even and they had, you know, uh, KD part-time, if you want, you know, want to spin it that way. So we outworked them, and part of me just feels like we could do that in the playoffs. Yeah, so let's talk about the other New York team, uh, the New York Knickerbockers, man. We So we had the Knicks today. Uh, we're recording this after the Knicks game, so this is Monday evening. And um, the Knicks are tough, bro. I tell people, man, don't sleep on the boy Tom Thibodeau, man. He's a great coach. Um, he has the Knicks playing great basketball. The Knicks are relevant again uh, for the first time in quite a while. And that's all due to Tom Thibodeau, man, and just getting the most out of the Knicks. And we took the L tonight. We we did lose. Um, not a pretty game on our end. Um, the Knicks really clamped down on us, but we didn't do ourselves any favors. And we took the L. Uh, we lost 111 to 96. Um yeah, what are some of your thoughts about this game, Edgar? Long drive from Brooklyn. They're tired. Um, <laughs> a long drive, yeah. They, uh, you know, I, I kind of expected it. When you when you look at the Nets, they're kind of an older team, Kyrie, KD. So injuries are always up in the air and how they, uh, how much caution they take with their players is always, you know, up in the air. But when you talk about the Knicks, they're a young team and they, they can hustle and they can run and, you know, they've got guys that can, that can ball. 
Um, Julius Randle, former Laker, of course, one of those guys. Yeah, Julius Randle, man, he had a great game. He had a great game. I feel like, you know, I kind of miss him, but, you know, good to see him succeed. It's good to see him blossom into an all-star that we all thought he, you know, would be, just didn't become yeah. an all-star fast enough to be with the Lakers. Disappointed in Drummond. Uh, disappointed in Kuzma. Maybe uh, he's coming back too early or just out of shape. That's probably the uh, more likelier case. He did uh, pretty bad. Missed seven from three. Not not too bad from the field. Just didn't shoot the three well. Um, and he was a minus 26 out of uh, all the players. That's twice the amount as of Montrezl Harrell, which is pretty crazy. What do you What do you think? Yeah, so it's been interesting. Every time we've recorded these pods, we've kind of covered uh, two games at a time. And I feel we've split both games every time time and we've typically played a bad defensive team and then a good defensive team and so we played the Brooklyn Nets who are a horrible defensive team and then you go play the New York Knicks who is coached who are coached by Tom Thibodeau this defensive wizard and they just man they just locked us up bro honestly they locked us up from the beginning of the game I was posting on Twitter just how great their post defense was Andre Drummond would catch the ball and it would be three defenders around him right away and it would lead to turnovers or it lead to bad shots or it lead to bad passes. And they were just, they locked him up, man. And, and same thing with Trez. Trez catched the ball in the post. They were sending double teams right away. So Trez and Drummond combined for 40 minutes, one for seven from the field, uh, only three points, 12 rebounds, five turnovers, and they were a minus 17. So um, our big men struggling, man, if uh, Drummond and Trez are very important to the roster right now, especially with Braun and AD out. So if they're not playing well, it's going to be very hard for us to win some of these um, some of these games when they're struggling. And like you said, Julius Randle balled out. But I thought Schroeder and Keith played really well on the Lakers side. Um, I thought uh, Dennis Schroeder did a good job of setting the tone again, being aggressive. Um, still kind of high turnovers. He only had three assists to five turnovers. So, um, But that was kind of the name of the game for the Lakers, man. It, if there's two things that stood out to me as to why we lost this game today, turnovers is number one. We had 24 turnovers. And then number two was offensive rebounds, man. The Knicks had 15 offensive rebounds. And it, it's crazy, man. It was Taj Gibson, man. I don't know how many people remember Taj Gibson, but he went to town on the offensive glass, man. And he made it hell for Den, uh, not Dennis Schroeder, but Montrez Harrell today. He made it hell for him, bro. And it got to a point where Vogel bent Harrell in favor of Marcus Gasol, who we know is kind of out of the rotation a little bit right now. And he did okay in the five minutes he was in the game. He did all right. Uh, the Lakers won a little run we're able to cut the game uh the uh the deficit down to five but in the end we just couldn't we couldn't pull this game out man we couldn't push through horrible third quarters really kind of what did us in uh we went on about a six to seven minute uh field goal drought and and with that the Knicks were able to build their lead up to 15 and that's what they eventually went by so uh not a great game by the Lakers but you know what we've been on a long road trip um this is our sixth game in the road trip and we're coming up on the end of that so you know it's gonna happen you're gonna you get some tired legs gonna fatigue a little bit especially when you're having all these injuries man um different guys out different days so it just makes sense so it is what it is man we got to look forward to the next one and just hopefully we can um get a win to end the road trip and so we have charlotte we have uh the charlotte hornets um and then we'll be coming back home so um how are you feeling about that game edgar uh lakers against the charlotte hornets you feeling like we can get a w out i think we should get a w out and uh i you know with the knicks I, it comes down to tired legs it's been a long road trip and by the end of it you're you know you want to sleep in your own bed be back home 
And that's exactly what it was. It was tired legs. And it was one of those games where you kind of like feel like it's within reach and it just gets away just as you get like within one or two. So uh, I don't think that'll happen against uh, Charlotte. Now with, um, you know, without Hayward or LaMelo, I don't think Charlotte's uh, anything to worry about. Um, And I I expect them to win. I mean, there's not much to say about that. These are just games where you're like, yeah, we expect them to win. We want them to win. Definitely. But we got to, we got to, we got to come. We got to come ready to play, right? We can't just... We can't just expect Charlotte to roll over because they're fighting for playoff seating in the Eastern Conference as well. Um, they're six, four, six, uh, six and four in their last 10 games. So they're still competing. They're still battling without their two best players out. Like you said, Gordon Hayward's out. LaMelo's out. They're both uh, nursing some injuries. So and it's a back to back for us on our end. Uh, we're going Monday, Tuesday. So we're recording this Monday night and then the Lakers will be playing tomorrow in Charlotte. So it would be great to end the seven game road trip with a four and three record. That'd be awesome considering we did it without Braun and AD. We had some pretty tough competition along the way so I, I predict the win i predict the win against charlotte and we'll come home and then we have the celtics on thursday uh celtics playing a lot better recently seven and three in their last 10 games they've won three in a row uh but the cool thing about that celtics game man is we'll be back in staples center and there's words uh there's word floating around rumors going around that that might be the first game that they open up to laker fans uh, i'm not 100 sure if that's correct just yet but that's what i've been hearing man and so so hopefully we can get that win in front of the home fans uh, Thursday against the Celtics. Yeah, definitely. And uh, man, I wish we had a full strength roster for this one just because it's always, you know, going to beat those guys. Um, but yeah, you know, w- once we uh, get past the Boston, that's when we get get Utah for two games and then Dallas one game without AD. Um, so those three games are going to be tough. Uh all on national television. So hopefully they let the boys play this time, not, you know, throwing anyone out. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's a crucial part of the schedule coming up. And this is the, uh, the one I was always saying was the big hurdle getting past Utah, getting past Dallas, Dallas without Porzingis might be a little yeah. easier, but, you know, they still ball out on any given day. Um, yeah. yeah. And all, and all those teams are playing really well right now, man. Uh, teams are really starting to find their groove and find their rhythm and really starting to push, man, because playoff seating is very important, especially considering if you fall into that seven, eight seed it's not just a guarantee and you have to do the play-in tournament and so Celtics have been playing well um I think I think we'll take the L against the Celtics at home man um they've just been playing really well and uh they're on, kind of on a run right now so I think I think we'll split these next two games I think we get the W against Charlotte we take the L against the Celtics and something we need to start looking at is playoff seeding um as of today we are currently the five seed uh the Nuggets are still playing I think they're playing the Warriors right now but we're currently one and a half games behind the Nuggets who are the four seed so if the Nuggets do end up beating the Warriors uh, we'll uh, end up being two full games behind them and we're currently one and a half games ahead of the Blazers who are the sixth seed so um, I don't know man I don't know if the Lakers want to be in that that four or five seed because you'll have to play the Nuggets more than likely in the first round and then if you fall to the sixth seed you'll more than likely have to play the Clippers or the or the Nuggets if they get to the third seed and I think those are just two teams the Lakers are going to try to avoid in the first round um, how do you feel about that matchup man like and how do you feel about the Lakers mindset do you think they should be worrying about their seeding and trying to avoid the Clippers and the Nuggets in the first round or are you kind of just like whatever man whoever we get let's just get at it I think I mean ideally we get a Phoenix in the first round right because we'd uh, take it to him pretty bad. And it's always good to knock CP3 out of any anything. 
Uh, um, but yeah, no, it uh, it's absolutely crucial. You don't want to play the Clippers. You don't want to play the Nuggets. You don't want to play the Jazz. I don't think we'll play the Jazz, but you don't want to play the uh, the Nuggets or the Clippers. Um, so it's uh, crucial that they uh, keep playing, keep playing hard. Don't want to, you know, get that extra game, especially um, you know before a long uh, playoff run. You you, know, you want to rest bodies. But you know, overall, I'm happy. I don't think they'll drop that far back. I don't think Dallas. I don't think Portland. I don't think they're going to win all their games. Portland not being able to play defense and uh, Dallas with uh, with injuries. Um, and then, you know, the Grizzlies are the Grizzlies. They're, they're a young team. Uh, so they're not going to win every game. And, you know, like their record shows are about a 500. So I'm not worried at all. I think uh, we'll be fine. Um, as long as, again, we skip the, uh, the Nuggets and the Clippers just because, you know, they're unnecessarily hard matchups in the first round, especially when you can take on a, on a Phoenix Suns or a Dallas, you know, Mavericks if we were to move up that high. But, you know, we'll see uh, how it goes on that end. Yeah, we'll definitely see. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if the Lakers will be playing, trying to play this like a uh, seeding chess game and trying to uh, move down or move up based on matchup. But right now, Utah, Phoenix and the Clippers are the one through three seed and they're all playing pretty well right now. The Clippers are on a five game winning streak. And so they're three and a half games behind the number one seed. And then Phoenix is two games behind Utah for the one seed. So I just definitely I, I would I agree with you, man. I don't want to see the Clippers or Denver in the first round, especially because Denver's playing so much better after they got Aaron Gordon in that trade and the Clippers as much I said this before man but as much shit as we talk about the Clippers I don't want to play them in the first round of the playoffs I feel like they'd be a tough matchup for us just because of their wing depth uh but well, he, here's the ideal scenario right if you get the uh, the Clippers who are playing well to pass up the Suns for you know the second seed that puts uh the feet you know the Suns in uh, the third seed and it puts us one away from this you know the sixth seed and that would match us up uh against them and that'd be the uh, easiest first round I think you could uh, hope for see I I see a different scenario man um I see a different scenario. So I see us ideally being the four seed and then hopefully Denver falls to the six seed, though I don't think that's going to happen. But if we were the four seed and we win the first round uh, matchup, that means if Utah wins their matchup, we get Utah in the second round and then we wouldn't have to play the Clippers till the conference finals. If we drop to six and let's say Phoenix drops to the three seed, we would get Phoenix first. We'd get Phoenix first in the first round, but then we'd get the Clippers in the second round. Yeah, who cares? Take the Clippers. All right, man. I don't know, dude. Last year I picked the I, last year I picked the Clippers to win the finals, and we saw how that turned out. They they choked, and they're going to choke again just because they ain't got it. Um, you know, I don't think uh, Kawhi is that kind of player. He's not the kind of player just going to lead his team through adversity unless you know the other teams. Two superstars go down. Only way you get it done. Yeah. No, but yeah, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather play the Phoenix Suns in the first round. Um, it just makes it easier because then, yeah, like you said, if we were to slot in in the uh, fourth seed and Denver drops to the fifth seed, that's what we play in the first round. So who would you rather have, Nuggets, Jazz, or uh, Suns, Clippers? Knowing that you're going to have to play the Clippers at one point or another, right? So you might as well get it, you know, get it out of the way early and uh, get a quick, easy series in the uh, next round. Um, but who knows? <laughs> For all we know, uh, they drop further down and we end up playing you know the Jazz as a second seed yeah man uh, I think right now is the key is just get healthy and let's just build that chemistry for that playoff push and the seedings are the seedings however it turns out it turns out right but uh, yeah we got Charlotte tomorrow we got the Celtics Thursday we'll just take these games as they come and hopefully AD is back next week and, and we're rocking and rolling man and uh, that'll do it for us, man. That, that's what we have for the Lakers. Um, thank you all for listening to the City of Champions podcast. Uh, 
follow us on Twitter at underscore city of champs. Uh, give us a follow, uh, subscribe to our podcast, uh, follow us on Spotify. Uh, so that's where you can hear our podcast and also just check us out on Twitter. We're constantly posting and we definitely want to interact with our fans. So thank you all for listening and have a good one. Later. Later.